0: Welcome to the Dr. Coffee podcast, brought to you by IndemniMed, the new practitioner and practice insurance from the awesome people at Money & Medicine. In this week's episode, I interview Dr. Chris Matthew. Chris is currently the health informatics officer for the private hospital group, Netcare. In this role, he also serves as the clinical lead for Africa's largest EMR system, through which Netcare has established the first fully digitized hospitals in South Africa. Prior to joining Netcare, Chris trained as a medical doctor and then went on to complete an MBA, and I hope I say this correctly, as a louis dreyfus Weidenfeld Hoffman sayed Scholar, whew, followed by a Masters in International Health and Tropical Medicine as an ExxonMobil Global Health Scholar, both at the University of Oxford. He's passionate about healthcare and technology, the ever-expanding intersection of the two, and the role this will have in improving healthcare for all South Africans. It's a privilege to have him on the podcast to talk to us today about the options available to medical graduates in non-clinical work. Before we get into this week's interview, I'd like to acknowledge our sponsors on this episode. The first sponsor to mention are the new long-term partners of the show IndemniMed, a new health practitioner's insurance offering from the incredible people at Money & Medicine. If you've heard of Money & Medicine before, you probably already know that they offer simplified and unbiased financial resources for young medical professionals. They're heavily invested into the success of future and junior doctors and offer loads of free resources such as online financial literacy courses, advice via their podcast and YouTube channel, and free reviews of your existing financial plans. I cannot recommend them highly enough, so I'm delighted and humbled by the support of the podcast. If you're interested in finding out more about IndemniMed or Money in Medicine, you can find them quite easily at moneyandmedicine.co.za. And please tell them Dr. Coffee sent you. The second sponsor on this episode is Seventh Star Tuition. As you may recall, in episode 33 of this podcast, we highlighted the GEMP Medical Program at Vits and how to prepare for the WAPT exam, giving those who are not medical students the opportunity to enter medical school as a four-year postgraduate degree. Being a GEMP graduate myself, I know both the struggle to prepare and get in, and the tremendous amount of work and support needed to balance studies with the rest of your life. So I'm delighted that 7star have partnered with us to promote their educational courses and services to students. They provide incredible support to students from grade 10 and upwards, as well as medical students. 7star feature in a sponsored content segment all of their own at the end of this episode, so stick around or fast forward to that if you need professional support for your studies. And if you need more information or to sign up with them, visit their website at 7star.co.za. Thank you so much to our sponsors for making this week's episode possible. And now, without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Chris Matthew. Welcome to the Dr. Coffee podcast, Dr. Chris Matthew. Thank you for your time and I'm so glad that you accepted our invitation. We're really looking forward to hearing from you. Simon, thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you today. So the first question that I ask all of my guests to set the scene is to ask you about where you went to medical school and when you qualified and where you went to internship and comserve. Sure. So I did medical school at
1: WITS, qualified in 2012, internship at Barra, comserve at Joburg Gen, I worked into MO time, and then very soon after left medical medicine
0: altogether. Okay. And we're going to be talking about that non-clinical adventure. But first, when you were doing internship and you were doing your community service a year, did you have any clear idea of where you wanted to go in medicine at that at that stage? Hmm. So I guess it
1: started in med school. I think like for many people, uh, very keen on obstetrics, it was my passion. Uh, intended for the most part to always leave clinical medicine at some point. Okay. Intention primarily being to first specialise and then leave. Uh, life had other plans, and the non-clinical came sooner than I anticipated. But no, the takes to do obstetrics, I did my diploma, was about to do a reg post, go out to the conveyor belt, uh, specialize in the eventually go to hospital administration, one more
0: non-clinical type environment. So was that your thinking, is that you were going to specialize so that you could understand the hospital environment better? Or why were you thinking of specializing first and then leaving the clinical side? That was the easy option. Okay. Because what we know,
1: it's what we were trained to do throughout med school. You're trained about a cath internship it's com service make sure you do your primaries and you've got your clinical time so you can apply for the reg post now i know it's more competitive now so you need more than just primaries you need actual time but uh, in in i feel like my day i feel like an old <laughs> old buddy say that but no so it uh at that time it was easy you do your yeah. your primaries you've got com serve you can get into reg post almost straight away so it was the easy option it's the default yeah and it's it's your default bias you'll stay on the on the known routes so that was what I thought, okay that makes sense there was no clear route, there's no clear route to life, how do you become a hospital manager? How do you move into non-clinical work? So I just said, okay, let, I just said, let's trust the process, do clinical, and then I'll do an MBA and then yeah. I'll do non-clinical work. I've got the credibility, I've got that safety net of I've, I'm a specialist. and there's always that that fear that comes in is that I need that safety. I need something just
0: to to fall back on in case it doesn't work out. Right. So if I understand you correctly, the decision to maybe specialize first. Was to provide that safety net so that if anything didn't work out you could come back into clinical medicine fairly easily and have a career path there it wasn't necessarily that um a specialist qualification in anything would prepare you better for being a clinical manager or anything within the non-clinical side of medicine it was just saying you know what i want to make sure that i don't find myself in five years time not able to get a job completely so like i said i had a lot of
1: hesitation in the process and a fear of the unknown. So it was that that was the more known path. This isn't to say that the clinical aspect doesn't add value. It's not to say that being a clinician isn't important in a non-clinical role. Being a specialist, perhaps less so. Being clinical and having clinical experience, definitely. So I've had a lot of people that reach out to me and say Chris, I'm, I'm finishing up med school, should I consider leaving now? Should I go to consulting or do an MBA? And my recommendation is always at least do internship and com service. Yes, the safety net's there. So maybe that's the bit of the caution from my side. But actually, it gives you good insight into a lot of the first hand, cold face experiences of clinicians. And if you really want, want to be a manager in a clinical environment to have that impact, you need to understand it. And that only comes with actually experience in the first hand. And not to say you'll have the, the best insight per se, yeah. but you need to have some understanding. Yeah.
0: That's an important first step. I agree with what you're saying completely. And I think there's three dimensions to it. The first thing is, that you would have completed internship in CommServe. And the experience being an actual working junior doctor is very different compared to a student. doesn't matter how good your exposure is as a student. There's just something different about being on call overnight and seeing cases at three o'clock in the morning. You know, when you're a student, you think you're on call until 10 p.m. But that's that's just a late day as an intern. Mm. Um, and then the other two aspects there is, you know, to get that experience and that knowledge that I think also gives you a certain amount of respectability with your peers mm-hmm. you know that you're not just somebody in a non-clinical space who hasn't been at the cold face and then the third dimension like you said to have something to fall back on you've got their work experience and you've got the accreditation that if you want to work in a clinical role and some people might have have one foot in both where you can do non-clinical consulting work or uh, information and have something on the side as well as being in the clinical space So moving to the adventure during medical officer time and that decision process, if you can cast your mind back to the decision algorithm you were working through and how you were weighing up your options, what were some of the things you were considering at that time Mm -hmm. when you were making that decision, the pros and cons of whether or not to leave clinical medicine? So I think something that comes up often, uh,
1: everybody I talk to is always a fair bit of alignment generally it starts with either i was frustrated in in my role i was frustrated by the clinical systems and public sector and i was jaded and i wanted to have an impact on a bigger scale uh, th- that's generally where the conversation will, will end up going towards sure. i wanted to try and have impact on a bigger scale i wanted to have an impact in a way that was different to just one patient at a time and one clinical case at a time have it in a, in a health system environment rather than just that individual patient and it was very similar for me i, I think where my journey perhaps to, to some degree is where it started, is that my journey started actually in med school, mm. where I first realized that I wanted to do non-clinical work. So I was fortunate enough to be part of the Medical Student Council and get exposure through Medical Student Council and then eventually Grad Committee and non-clinical work and administrative work, is, as as important as I felt then, it's nothing in the bigger scheme, but gave me that first exposure to say, mm. actually, I've got some other skills here, I can do other things. Uh, and it wasn't any hectic. It was just like setting up a meeting, a chairing a meeting, or or sending emails. It's small things, but I could start to see that I had affinities for some of the non-clinical aspects, uh, and, and in a different environment. So once the realization came, when I got to the point of clinical practice where I was getting frustrated, I was trying to solve problems beyond just the patient in front of me and giving them medication or getting a procedure done. I realized that my, my mindset was already shifting at that point. Sure. So that realization, I think, is the first important part. What then comes from there is to say then, okay, now that I know I want to do something different, what do I actually want to do? What am I trying to work towards? Uh, because you, you might have a goal that you reach into, you're aiming towards, and always use an analogy, so it might uh, be a bit rehashed a few times, but I always talk about having that goal that you're aiming towards with that light in the tunnel. Well, in my case, I say, there's a mountaintop to the you're reaching for. Mm. That mountain top is extremely important. That mountain top is either you'll get there by climbing the mountain, going over the ridge, through the valley, through the deserts. You have to have that mountain top that you're aiming for, and to be very clear on what that goal was. At my when I started this journey, my goal was to become CEO of Barra Oh wow, that was my goal. It was naive. It was ambitious but it was extremely important because it completely yes. shaped my thinking. Yes. And I look back now and I think, what was I even thinking, trying, like want to become a CEO of Barra? Is that really what I wanted to do? I think I was going to make an impact becoming CEO of Barra, but it was an important motivator for me because I needed something just to drive me, to say, okay, if I want to become CEO of Barra, what do I need to do to get there? Mm. And in trying to get there, or get to a point where you feel like you can fulfill that role or fulfill a role that's similar to have an impact, then you start looking for your gaps. And that was what led my journey second. Okay, let me try and do something. So we did a project with the accounting MEC for health at the time. What you see now, and I'm sure have gone through, is your online internship applications. The ICSP? Yeah. I piloted a system for the accounting department of health prior to it launching. I ended up working for HISP, who's the organization that launched ICSP. Wow. So, and then it got exposed to different things. But long story short, in that process, of trying to do something which I thought was cool and great in the future. We got met with hurdle after hurdle and obstruction and barrier and incredibly frustrating trying to navigate the bureaucracy and the politics uh, of public sector health care. And that process revealed a lot in myself. It was a learning journey for me. We mm-hmm. failed horribly, we, but we learned in that failure. And one of my big learns was that there's a gap in my own ability, whether it be my my commercial skills or financial skills my management skills and exposure just have an appreciation for what the bureaucracy is and how to navigate it and those realizations of those gaps okay then how do you solve it and the reflex answer is not mba every little second listen mba that's the easy way out of clinical medicine Do an mba will give you some more cross-transferable skills you can take that as your way out of clinical medicine so that was my default position uh, i challenge it a bit more now and i talk to people Uh, But that was how I started my
0: journey. Okay, I've got these gaps. How can I tackle it? Let me do an MBA. Wow. Uh, Just going back to wanting to be the CEO of Barra, I can imagine being an intern, seeing some of the systemic challenges, seeing the problems on an individual patient-by-patient basis, and then thinking, how do I scale this so I can make a bigger impact? And it comes back to the principle of you don't necessarily know exactly where you're going to end up in 10 years' time. But a bicycle can only be steered when it's going somewhere. You can't steer a bicycle if it's stationary, right? So it might have been that the CEO of Barra, you you look back now and you say, I can't believe that was what I was aiming at. But it guided you down a direction that took you to where you are now and where you've done these incredible things. Like I think the ICSP, for all of its challenges, I think that just makes the internship application process so much easier and so much smoother for interns because now you know when your application is in or not and everything is digital and you have kind of the backing up support and stuff. You, you said that the MBA is an easy way to, to uh, get out of clinical medicine and I flinched a little bit. <laughs> and the listeners, if they couldn't see me, would have seen me kind of like grimacing because an MBA is notoriously difficult. Um, they, they call it the marriage killer because if you're going in married, married uh, I think the divorce rate is like half. <laughs> the, half the people that start an MBA don't yeah. finish it married. Uh, you you did say that you challenged that a bit. What would be the equivalence of an MBA? or What do you think is more important than an MBA for people to, to get? So
1: uh, let me qualify the statement of saying it's the easy option. Not saying MBA is easy, but it's the easy decision to make to say I want to do an MBA because it comes back to this default bias. We have this default bias of, okay, I want to stay on the clinical track. Trying to deviate from that is different. If you do deviate it from the clinical track,
0: the first inclination you have is second if you do an MBA. Especially if, if clinical medicine is all you've known. If you're somebody exactly. who left high school at 18, mm-hmm. did six years of medical school, you've done three years of junior doctor time, and now you're like, okay, I'm going to do something completely different. Yeah, exactly. And the MBA becomes that
1: easy option to say, that's the choice I want to make, and that, that's the route I want to use to try and get to the non-clinical world. So let me not say the MBA is easy, but that's why I say it's the easy option or the easy uh, route. The reason I challenge it now is I still am incredibly grateful and I still value my MBA enormously. I still recommend it. But my and it's because my decision making in the process was still clear and justified. And all I'm trying to say is that choose the MBA because the MBA is the right decision for you, not yes. because you think it's the easy decision or the easier option to move astronomically. So yes. in my case I had sort of three very clear objectives to the process. I wanted to, one, expose myself to the commercial, financial, and the same management world because that's obviously something I'd never had before. That whole administrative aspect of healthcare, I'd never had that exposure. Mm. And obviously being clinical, I wanted to get that exposure. Two, I wanted to establish an international network, because I chose an international MBA. So I wanted to expand my network base. So that was a big, a key driver in my choice. And then three, which is a bit unusual, uh, maybe I guess in some senses, I wanted to improve my presentation and public speaking skills. Mm random thing not to say that these aren't things you think okay that's why you do an MBA but those are my three goals um, so throughout the MBA that is what I aim to achieve by the end of the year you will get the degree you'll do the accounting course you'll do all of that but building a network it's making friends yeah. that, that, that's the the extracurricular activities that come with the MBA you don't think about a lot that when you see the MBA the course curricula so those those goals for me were very important so that's what guided me to reach a decision okay, I want to do MBA, this is how I'll achieve it, and where it will help. In many cases, people will say, okay, I want to do the MBA, because I'm just trying to do our clinical medicine, and I actually I actually, I actually, would love to do a healthcare startup, health tech startup, and I want to do, let's say an EMR, because the EMR is top of mind. For me, yeah. whatever you want. And, and you're, EMR,
0: for the benefit of our listeners, stands for Electronic
1: Medical Record. Yes. So you might have this idea of what you want to do. You think, cool, the MBA is the way I'm going to get to that goal. And you have to always challenge that. There could be other ways to do it. It could be actually maybe just go join a startup. Start your own business. You could get a lot of those same layers you get from an MBA just through practical exposure. Mm-hmm. Actually just work in a non-clinic environment. Take a pay cut. So go do an internship at some random company. It could even be an agricultural company. You'll still learn an enormous amount in a different setting. We as doctors have, an in, have a valuable set of skills. We, we are brilliant at problem solving it's interacting with people for the most part yeah. but, but there's so many other skills that we have that are beyond just treating a patient in front of you, and writing a prescription or performing a procedure we can use our hands, we can use our minds there's so much more that we have to our capability so put that to use, yeah. put it in so different environments uh, the other aspect so that's often one that I recommend or suggest if it's an option, for those that can afford it or have it as an available, available option or uh, the other option also comment is management consulting. Uh, I toyed with it a lot. I chickened out at the end. Uh, also, probably another marriage killer. Uh, so probably only really recommended if you're not married because the lifestyle is difficult. Uh, but anecdotally, they often say that three years of management consulting experience is equivalent to MBA. Wow. So if you finish internship or you even know, straight out of med school, will go straight to management consulting. So you think about the big management firms, so, MB, so you say MBB, so McKinsey, Bain, and uh, BCG. But there are also other smaller firms. You could do Accenture or Deloitte. And they're not smaller firms. They're just, they're, they're not quite in the Management industry. consulting is not necessarily their core business. Yes. Yeah. So th- there could be different ways to sort of uh, skin a cat as such. Yeah. Uh, but the experience you'll get will be valuable. The experience there's still been, that non-clinical exposure. You'll build an enormous uh, array of, administrative skills, business knowledge and insight, commercial and financial skills, you'll do financial modeling. You don't think that that's what magical consultants do, but they get that yes. exposure. You're forced to be exposed to a variety of businesses and sectors. So you often might not even do healthcare. You'll come in as a person with a healthcare background, but you'll get exposed to different aspects. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people that come out of McKinsey, Bain, BCG, they excel in, in the corporate environment. A lot of your CEOs are from an MBB background. If you look at the Fortune 500. I forget the the number we've had, but I think it's something almost like half of the Fortune 500 CEOs are actually from an ABB background. So, like you said, ABB, so McKinsey, Bay, and BCG, the three major consulting firms. So, there's a lot that comes, and there's, there's a lot of reasons for that the exposure, the frameworks that they have, the skill sets that they build. Mm. I say this without any direct experience. I see it indirectly from my friends that went that route, mm. uh, that had that exposure, the way their thinking changed, doctors and non doctors. Um, so there's a lot that they learned the best. It wasn't for me, I chose it a different route. Um, but yeah, so I generally say, uh, so yeah, it could be an MBA, could be just practical work experience in not connect environment, or three, going the management consulting route. Those are possibly the, the, the easiest ones i will suggest, but there could be other options as well. Maybe doing a short course, do a diploma rather than a full MBA. Uh, and the other one that's, I guess, a bit more short term, just talk to people, have conversations anybody on the podcast reach out to me if you want to chat i'm more than happy to have a chat i spend a lot of time talking to people because it's so unknown there's no clear handbook on this there's no one recipe or one size fits all so talk to people just get a feel for it it's difficult because you can often sometimes talk to too many people you're just more confused at the end of the day and that's what always come back to be clear on what that light is what is that guiding mount and top that you're aiming for because once you're clear on that thing you can work towards it
0: Yeah, and as you sift the advice, so to speak, I mean, it's kind of like eating a a fish. You know, the fish has got bones in it. So you sometimes have to pick out the bones and say, okay, that particular nugget of advice or that particular nugget of wisdom wasn't necessarily pertaining to the mountain I want to head towards. It's interesting you spoke about the importance of networking. and, And even now it's apparent that your network is a very important base and resource to you. If you think back to when you were doing your mba you would have been interacting with people who had different backgrounds and different degrees it would have been lawyers engineers doctors what are some of the resources that particularly a medical degree does provide because you spoke about some of the short shortcomings and, and areas where you felt you needed to grow such as more public speaking but what were some of the thing what are some of the things that medicine actually added and gave you a unique perspective and a unique edge on it's,
1: so uh, in the MBA environment, I was already unique in my class. There were, I think there were five of us, of, of five doctors, and one, one day to four doctors and a class of 320 people. Wow. So it's a, you're a minority already. I often just felt ill-equipped. I felt... Completely inadequate uh, imposter syndrome throughout. But isn't that just medicine yeah. 2.0? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> in, some, in some cases, but it, and it comes from an environment where, and this happens to us over and over again, you, you get into med, med school, having left high school be the top of your class, <laughs> then you end up feeling like the bottom of the class, when you get into med school, and then you sort of work your right way up again, and now you're all special, you're a doctor, and you get to the MBA, and you're now bottom of the class again. Um, the directly like for medicine I didn't feel like I was that special. I didn't feel like I had that much per- value to add. But through the journey, the way I approached problems I could see it was fundamentally different to other people approach problems. Sure. We we used to often uh, dismiss the value of a biopsychosocial model and approach. But that holistic thinking of a problem is actually so important. That to understand that there's more perspectives upon than just what you see in front of you. It's not just the biological. There is the psychosocial. And just the different way we frame problems is is such an important skill. It's a come back to this, these transferable skills we have that we don't realize we have. And you only, even now, I struggle to quantify those skills that have, well, not, not quite right, uh, objectively identify those skills and to some degree quantify. But I can just see it in practice and how, how it's actually unfolded and helped me to enhance my other skills in other areas with that as a foundation. So I don't the question I forget is, do I regret doing medicine? Or on the other hand, do I miss medicine? Yeah no it was right for me it was important for my journey and i wouldn't be where i am today if i hadn't done medicine it completely shaped who i am uh, and i give full credit to that journey it was a part of the journey. it's a long journey do nine years ten years of medicine and then just almost forfeiting it all to leave i didn't forfeit it it was mm-hmm. part of my growth yeah it was part of the foundation i have
0: now that set me in good set for today wonderful nothing's wasted and uh, yeah. along the journey you know there might have been a few cul-de-sacs you went into but at the end of the day, everything's a resource and adds color to the palette. So if I was to ask you now about your current role, so you're currently an informatics officer. What does that entail? And and what was the kind of particular niche that you saw that you wanted to go into? So I, I say this to everybody.
1: I, I've been forced in some ways, and I guess others, others would find it a bit more daunting. I've never had a job description. I've never never actually applied for a job. <laughs> a part of the last job I applied for was my MO or like internship in concert. But since then, I've actually never applied for a job. Wow. And, and I've been fortunate enough just to have exposure opportunities. Even this job is not a job that I anticipate in any way. Uh, as a bit of a background. So I did the MBA. Did my MBA. Ended up doing another master's afterwards in international health
0: and tropical medicine that is wild so i mean there's a growing list now of <laughs> postgraduate qualifications
1: yeah so, so I've, done, I've done a few a few degrees along the way um so i guess a bit of backstory so uh just prior to go to my mba i was a few months prior i was working at JobGen as an mo in obstetrics and my reg at the time his wife worked in netcare had left clinical medicine done not let the route and he's like chris you should meet my wife And just see what she's done And you had obviously Mentioned non-clinical yes. stuff In conversation So at the time I had already gotten Into my MBA So he knew I was like hey, Chris you got for your MBA I actually chat to my wife She's actually busy Doing her MBA And she's left Clinical medicine Chat to her So that's where it started I just had a conversation With her And that was I think maybe July or August 2016 Did my MBA From 2016 to 2017 My masters From 2017 to 2018 And through the process I just sort of Kept in touch with her And then just As luck would have it um, I was in Vietnam for research And then actually just coming in via SA On my way back to the, uh, to the UK To submit my dissertation to my second masters And she just happened to reach out to me She's like, Chris, can I give you a ring? I've got something to chat about mm. I was like, oh, actually I I just landed in Joburg Maybe I can meet you tomorrow morning Long story short That was Friday morning Tuesday morning I had a job offer For a job wow. I had never anticipated wow. um, I've had an affinity always for technology I Had no real I had some exposure to health informatics through an NGO I worked for. And also through it. the whole ICSP. IC, yeah. I wasn't and... directly involved, but the organization that did do ICSP, yes. I worked with them for six okay. months prior to going to the UK. Did you know coding and things like that? I or... love hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> no, so the projects I worked with them on was actually our data quality okay. in the public okay. sector. Okay. Uh, but they do a lot of health information systems for public sector and it gave me some exposure. Very, very minimal. But at first, it opened my eyes to the non-clinical world and the non-clinical aspects of healthcare to say that there is health informatics there are health information systems and they're an important backbone in a health system Um, so in that process by going through sort of that exposure to understanding that and then meeting this colleague of mine who ended up becoming my boss uh, and having always enjoyed and had an affinity for technology this role sort of just made sense and I ended up yeah, joining Netcare Law under five years ago at the time, NECU was just starting their journey to digitize their hospitals. Mm. So we've launched a system called CareOn, which is our EMR. Um, we now have it in 32 hospitals. But when I joined, it didn't exist. We were still building it and figuring it out. Uh, I joined in a clinical capacity to say, okay, we can tell that as clinical insight to help in the design of the system. So I joined as the clinical lead for the project. Sure. And as that role evolved, I very quickly realized I had a, a strong... Uh, IT affinity, and then from going to somebody with a clinical perspective with some IT insight, I went to a fully IT role with some clinical perspective. So wow. I, I then actually went into the IT division and then that's when I moved to the role of health informatics officer. And my role is still unique. It, it doesn't fit any typical job description as such. Uh, but where I often sort of position myself is, is I am a segue or go between, let's say, a translator and interpreter between different stakeholders, between a clinician, a doctor who's on the ground, trying to use an iPad and use Caron, to an IT developer who needs to try and make it better for the doctor, to Necce as a business who at the end of the day is a business. They have oh. to run an operation to make it sustainable. And I sit in between all of those, to try and say, what does everybody need and bring it all together to make a solution that actually works. And yeah, that's how I've developed and the roles evolved over time. So it's it's different. If you see health and RAS officers overseas, they fulfill a different type of role. So ours is a bit unique in our sense. So I'm fairly technically involved, but I'm not I'm not a coder, I'm not a developer. Uh but I have a lot of exposure and involvement in that. I do a lot of work with integration between clinical service provider, so labs and radiology, uh, and blood bank. We built the first fully integrated system in the country. We have fully digitized CTGs. I designed it because Amazing. I had a clinical background. So I wasn't it an IT expert in any way, but having the clinical insights, okay, this is actually what matters to a doctor. I need to see a CTG. It's important for the management of the patient. I need to see it update every 10 minutes. An IT developer wouldn't necessarily know that. So, mm-hmm. so small things like that, that's where we led that insight. So that's how the role evolved over time. Uh, but
0: yeah, there was no structure when I started. We just built it as we went. As you're speaking, um, I'm reminded of the saying that people overestimate what they can achieve in one year but they underestimate what they can achieve in five years and it's very clear that even though like you said in the beginning it was maybe a little bit amorphous and yeah. not clearly defined at all, just as you're doing this work and as things expand and as things change and it's a fast-moving industry that you're in it's incredible what you can achieve in such a short amounts of time i want to take you to the broader landscape of non-clinical medicine and i realize that there are roles and there are needs currently that there weren't 10 years ago. So it's a bit difficult to, to kind of forecast what the landscape mm. is gonna be five to 10 years from now. But what are some of the most important or crucial roles that medical doctors can do in non-clinical side of medicine? What are some of the, the places that people are getting employed in and adding value in? Look who i would say,
1: just transformation. We've seen it across the sector, across the world. Healthcare has completely changed the way it operates. It is about being digitally enabled and data driven, which is our strategy about, you talk about patient health and care or person-centered health and care it is digitally enabled and data driven. So organizations across South Africa and the world are digitally
0: transforming. Yes, because health information, sorry to, to interrupt, but health information, there's so much more data, patient data, mm-hmm. and, and, and almost continuous data uh, available now that 20 years ago, you weren't weren't able to have a watch on your wrist that would give your heart rates and sometimes even an ECG to your service provider. But now there's constantly information being gathered by all of these different sources. And that's just a huge amount of data. So to, to kind funny. of on what you were saying.
1: No, so, so given that that's how the world is transforming, yeah. that's the natural place for us to sort of fit in. Mm. Um, well, a challenge that we have as an example is that we have this enormous amount of data. We generate tens of gigabytes of data every day. We just we need we somebody to sift it out and actually piece together what the data means. Exactly. And that, that insight, that clinical insight, that's a big, big component that's missing in this journey. So that's where we can add a lot of values, just actually say, what does this data mean? What is the clinical value you can actually extract out of it? That still takes the state of saying, OK, we're still very clinically focused. Mm. And then we ignore the value we have in a, in a set of transferable skills that might take us a completely non-clinical environment. You could still do one in other settings. You could end up becoming a a CEO or an MD or, in a, let's say, a more management type role that actually has nothing to do with you being clinically orientated. Yeah. But in a healthcare sense, that digital transformation is an important part. And you can play different roles in that. I'm saying the data and being the clinical insight, but there's, a, there's so many roles that have evolved from that. So, health informatics is a big component of it, the data analytics side is a big component of it. Um, for me, the value really comes from just that clinical insight and acting as that translator because we take it for granted. It's easy to see a patient. We know what to do. It just comes to us naturally because our training has enabled us to do that. If you come into a business and you ask somebody to have that kind of insight, they're completely <laughs> stuck. They don't even know what to do. Yeah. So there's a lot of value we can add in that process. I think that's probably the, the biggest area that digital transformation. In a South African setting, it's a bit different because
0: NetCare has done this digital transformation. Nobody's even close. Uh, South Africa is a, a weird mix of first world and third world, all exactly. mashed together, and sometimes even within the same province, yeah. you can have huge differences in terms of what you can do.
1: Exactly. So in the in the private sector, so let's say from us on the on the provider side and Discovery on the funder side, there's nobody else that comes close to how digitally enabled you. are, and Discovery's in a league of their own as well in a different perspective. But without sort of <laughs> um, putting down the competition, they are. They're, they're just nowhere close to where we are as NEC in our digital journey. Wow. When we talk about EMR, um, EMR is a big competitor because it just talks about actually having access to the data. MediClinic is probably five years behind us. Sure. They were supposed to start a pilot last year. They haven't started yet. I'm assuming they'll start soon. They've got EMRs overseas, so I'm sure they'll come soon. Life is further behind. Um, so we're still in a bit of a niche. We, we had a lot of the, let's say, first mover advantage, but people still at first mover disadvantage. We had to deal with a lot of the barriers that came with it. Yeah, We're still dealing with those barriers, uh, but we're already seeing the rewards and the benefits that have come out of it. So the sector will change and, and join us on the journey. I know it's coming, it has to happen, and will come. Uh, but there's a lot of change management in that. There's a lot, of, but it has to change in the sector to really say digital first is actually our approach for healthcare. Healthcare has often been a bit archaic and a bit behind. Yeah, it's a large vessel that takes a long time to, to turn exactly. order. So so I think that's that will come to Health Against Africa. It's not fully there yet, but it will come.
0: Um, and I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, it'll come back to me. So to jog your memory, we, we're talking about the topic of how, um, and, and to kind of bring it back, back to the core questions, how junior doctors can evaluate what health um, tech and, yes. <laughs> and these non-critical roles actually entail into the South African context. So, and the big aspects, the path
1: that I have a lot of value for, and I still hope to actually get back to is public sector. So that's my my dream and our passion. Especially as we we think about NHI. Yes. Let's not get into the debates of NHI and and all of the details that come with it, but a key component of
0: NHI obviously will be... Registering all these patients and
1: keeping things up to date. It's an an administrative system. Yes. The, The management of NHI... It's probably where my, my biggest fear lies. Yes, you know, we have to worry about the money, but let's say we have the money, mm. it means nothing if you can't manage it properly. Yeah, it, in many senses, we have enough money to do NHI, it's just poorly administered. Uh, and that's where I think we haven't done enough in South Africa is to actually train
0: up managers to support our healthcare system. Yes, because when I did my episode on the NHI, one of the things I pointed out was that all of these medical aids, the 76 medical aids in the country, all of them have their own administration team and their legal team and their marketing team and all the people who handle all of that stuff, which because they are highly skilled, qualified people in the private sector and you can kind of choose who you want to hire, they do do their jobs well. But what it does do is it fragments the system. Yeah. So if you can take all of the skills, you can take the what the private sector is already doing generally well and make it work in one single fund, in the ideal world, it would actually simplify things. Hmm, exactly. And
1: that, that's a lot of what um, NHI proposes. Actually, it's simplifying that fragmentation. And it adds value to that. Because you you're you removing those layers, uh, you're removing
0: those barriers that bureaucracy and you simplify it. Oh, you're in the wrong hospital plan for this hospital. You have exactly. to go to that hospital. No, everyone's covered by one fund yeah. and there's less admin fees and and less people that you have to phone for pre-authorization. And, hmm. and, and, and that's like, even Nicholas Cross
1: says, that there's that. There's almost there's, there's money and there's value that could be without we'll even us get an extra tax for NHI mm-hmm. There's actually just money that's just inefficiently used That could actually fund NHI already Just by having efficiencies of how we manage the health system So wow. for me that's a big aspect that I think doctors can add value to So uh, was in the UK um, I was fortunate to of have to do a, a short internship And, and a, let's say a, a shadowing as such There they've got a management program So one of the options is Instead of doing A normal clinical internship You can do an internship In hospital management They've got a route Out of med school Into management Straight from the Foundation of your experience And right. we don't even Talk about it in med school Maybe it's changed up we, we don't even talk about Healthcare systems Or frameworks for health systems Or management of health systems Or what even NHR Or universal health coverage means mm. The first time I ever Got an it Was in my In my masters Sure But that's our future That's how a health system Has to operate And now we We're not empowering The core workforce of our health system on in this knowledge. So I think that for me is where we can add a lot of value. Our education system needs to change the healthcare sector. We need to start exposure, exposing medical students to the other side. And not just doctors, everybody. Nurses, pharmacists, um, physios, whoever it may be, th- that exposure is still important. And I think there's a big opportunity there and a big gap in our current healthcare sector to build our administrative capabilities, mm. our management capabilities to actually facilitate NHI in the future so we actually build
0: a pipeline of resources that will make it feasible and possible. So while you're talking I'm just thinking about the fact that there is a shortage of trained medical professionals of all sorts in South Africa. Would it be possible for somebody to be in the clinical space as well as the non-clinical space and what are the sacrifices one has to make to, to both to, in order to do that well?
1: Yes and no. So, yes, so it depends on the role on what you're looking to do. When I first joined NetCare, I, I had insisted and requested that I at least have one or two days of clinical work per week. Uh, that it just wasn't feasible. I just had way too much work to ever make that happen. Uh, but there are some people that do do it. They, they still have a split of clinical and non clinical work. Overseas health informatics officers often are clinical with a, an admin job. So maybe they'll do mornings of, of clinical work and afternoons of, of the non clinical. So that is a common approach in a model. Uh, I think it just depends on what you're looking for, what you're trying to do. I haven't seen many in South Africa that have done it um, for various reasons. Most people I've encountered, if they go non clinical, they're fully non clinical. Sure. Uh, they might occasionally do a locum shift here or there, but eventually, sort of, you just can't keep up. It's just it's just too much. you not you're not as up to date and relevant. Uh, on your clinical intervention, so you actually can do a disservice to your patients. Um, But yeah, it it depends on each person, so I wouldn't discount it completely, but it's difficult, it's tough.
0: Do you ever see the need to consult, as it were, with one of your colleagues who's actually still in (laughs) clinical medicine? Yeah, I often joke, so uh, people call me
1: an IT doctor, not really a doctor anymore, and look, my clinical skills are out of the window for the most part. I haven't seen a patient in eight or nine years wow. so uh, I'll ask your friend uh, look if you're writing a basic script or still write script so, <laughs> for, for myself or a friend but no, if it's my clinical knowledge is definitely uh, not safe
0: <laughs> <laughs> well it's clear that um, the non-clinical side has really gripped you and it's very rewarding and, and you've made a success of it is there anything that you miss about clinical medicine and if you can think like oh man this is the one aspect that's yeah oh, like, I had to lay that down in order to pursue this journey patients uh, we,
1: we often you become a bit jaded when you're in clinical practice and you you just like you push in the queue and you just want to get home and you want to get out of the call cool. but i actually miss patients actually i didn't realize how much i enjoy that human interaction and the fulfillment and gratification that comes from helping that person in right, front of deliver that baby or or uh, give me those antibiotics and it's just like just making that diagnosis it could just be a UTI you're like okay cool I cured somebody today and it's, yeah. it, it really is instant gratification in some sense obviously your chronic conditions are a bit different but there's a lot that's there's a lot of fulfillment that came out of uh, that exposure which I didn't appreciate until I left uh, when I was in the UK I used to tell my friends I used to wake up dreaming about seeing patients like oh. regularly yeah. and I didn't realize you don't miss it until it's gone yeah uh,
0: and then you find fulfillment in other ways Uh, but yeah that was my journey so we're coming towards the end of this podcast and thank you so much for your time and for your experience if you were to recommend resources to junior doctors and medical students for them to number one make the decision what they what mountain they want to go climb um, but also for them to just be resourced and equipped so that even if they stay in clinical medicine you can help them to be a better doctor with the changing landscape of the way that medicine is being practiced in the world. What are some of the things that you can recommend to junior doctors to equip themselves with?
1: So, so fundamentally, it's about exposure. We, we lack that exposure to that not going about. So you can get the exposure in different ways. You could read a book, read articles, podcasts, <laughs> watch YouTube videos, a series. Uh, how you get the exposure, I guess depends on the individual. what is how will you consume that information? So in my case, I did a fair bit of reading, tried to read books or articles, just search it online. But actually my best exposure, I've come back to networking, reaching out to people. I I learned far more in that one half an hour hour conversation than I would have learned in hours and hours of trying to read things online or do orances. So I would always say that's my first option. Uh, I used to be very introverted and now I think I'm not quite so much. So I find it easier to uh, network with people and, and reach out i will find that comfortable. It's not easy if that's your inclination and you're a bit more introverted and, and reach out to people, and cold calling
0: <laughs> is, is terrifying. Uh, then yeah, then, but it then. comes down to the, like you were saying, the skills you need to learn that you don't necessarily know when you're doing your six years of medical school. Uh, you have obviously a, a rich resource in your network and people you've worked with and, and developed friendships along the way. Did you have any mentors or people that you looked up to that kind of took you under your wing? Not directly. Uh, a lot
1: of it I've got mentors now who've done a lot to help me on my journey uh, a lot with their neck here but a, a very good friend of mine was also a mentor as well so actually two of my friends both of us left at the same time one of them came to the UK with me the other one went to France who so was MBA there and we navigated the journey at the same time so navigating that journey uh, just having something to bounce things off yeah. that's what I think I'll do what do you think I'll do and, and just have that that like-minded person to talk through things that helps a lot. I was very fortunate. Most people wouldn't have that, but that's where the networking then helps. And, and look, a lot of I want to say a lot of us because there's, there's more and more of us now. We want to pay it forward. We want to help uh, because I think there is so much value in exploring this this other side of medicine.
0: Um, so yeah, so reach out, <laughs> and I'm more than happy to chat. Thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. I, I have one more question. Is in medicine. Because of the way that medical training is set up in, in the public sector, there is a very clear, definite hierarchy that you work through, and that can sometimes get get to people, but I think that hierarchies exist for a reason, um, they can be protective, they can be very developing, it seems that when you move out of clinical medicine though, there, there might potentially not be that hierarchy of development and training. Is it true that in business there's not that hierarchy or, or is there a structure that you kind of go through? It
1: depends on the organization. Um, I was reading an article recently in New York Times about uh, flat structures versus hierarchical structures. Mm. It is valued both in a different settings. In, in, in your startup, starting off small, you can't really be hierarchical, you need to be a, have a flat structure, but that eventually evolves and there's an important aspect to the hierarchy you need somebody to make a decision and to lead the organization at there's value that we often talk about hierarchy in a negative sense but there's a lot of value that comes with it as well especially as you scale and you get bigger mm. most corporates have a, a hierarchical structure the larger corporates they'll have a path that they plan to move through the hierarchy in my role not so much <laughs> because there, there wasn't a clear career, career path but lot of these well so if, if you do uh, management consultant there's a, a graduate program and they'll take you through the steps of how you move through that journey so for most organizations there's some sort of a path to navigate that hierarchy it's honestly about moving up the hierarchy moving mm-hmm. up the ladder mm-hmm. but so this is how you get, get the skill set as you move through that journey um, so it's hierarchy in a different sense to clinical medicine we clinical medicine, it okay, it's literally it's about doing your exam specializing you're almost guaranteed to move up the hierarchy whereas in a corporate setting perhaps not as guaranteed it's more performance based Uh, Do you do the job well and then you'll move up the hierarchy
0: and you can be in different places in the hierarchy within different roles So if you think within business like you might be the leader of a team on one project Mm -hmm. But just merely a part of the team on another and taking instruction Mm -hmm. from so you can literally in your day as you move through your meetings some of those meetings you're chairing Mm -hmm. and some of them you have to sit very quietly in the corner as the most junior member of the team (laughs) And, and
1: Yes, it's very true. It's, it's not necessarily that you might be the most genius. You might just be there for a different reason. Wow, yeah. You're adding value to a different capacity. If I'm chairing a meeting, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm the most senior person in the room. Or I know the most. I'm just there to facilitate the discussion. Chairing is more
0: important to facilitate the discussion and actually get the information out of your audience. Like you said, the exposure or... and learning something that's going to add something to so. your next project. Yeah. That's something that actually fascinates me and intrigues me and, and to me actually is... So one of the most exciting aspects of non-clinical work is that you're going to work in um, something that's dynamic, that's not necessarily the same all the, all the time, mm-hmm. and where you are going to sometimes be the top dog and sometimes be the puppy that's learning, you know. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for all of the wisdom and advice that you put into this podcast episode. I can see that there's a, an interest there to impart more. I can see that you're a deep <laughs> no. well that we can draw more from. So, how can people contact you if they'd like to contact you about more? And, and, and please, podcast listeners, <laughs> not spamming the guest, but how can they reach out to you if they want to find out more? Uh, I I often miss LinkedIn
1: uh, messages, but it probably is the easiest. So, LinkedIn is the easiest way to find me and, and uh, connect. Uh, or uh, I'm happy to have my email address up as well. I'll share it with you. Maybe
0: put it on the, the show page. notes. Yeah. 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 And I'll share my email address a little we'll bit at either option. Right. Fantastic. Dr. Chris Matthew, thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lara. Thanks for having me. I'd like to take a brief break from our Coffee with Consultants feature to acknowledge and tell you about one of our sponsors on this week's episode. And that is none other than Seventh Star Tuition. As you may recall, in episode 33 of this podcast, we highlighted the GEMP medical program at WITS and how to prepare for the WAPT exam, giving those who are not medical students the opportunity to enter medical school as a four-year postgraduate degree. Being a GEMP graduate myself, I know both the struggle to prepare and get in, and the tremendous amount of work and support needed to balance studies with the rest of your life. So I'm delighted that 7th Star has partnered with us to promote their educational courses and services to students. Seventh Star is a company that has been at the forefront of student success for the last decade. If you are passionate about the sciences and nurturing ambitions for a rewarding medical career, you need to check them out. Seventh Star has made a name for itself by providing an array of courses meticulously designed to meet the needs of aspiring students across South Africa. And for the past 10 years, the folks at 7th Star have been providing a pretty unique set of services to facilitate the achievement of your loftiest possible academic achievement goals. They've earned an enviable reputation through their three-tiered approach to supporting students. The first tier is their Extra Lessons program, which helps grade 10 to 12 learners to improve and ultimately excel in maths, physical sciences, and life sciences. Of course, a solid foundation in these subjects is vital for anyone with eyes set on a career in medicine. Moving to the second tier, Seven Stars Assessment Prep Offering focuses on preparing students for critical examinations, such as the National Benchmark Tests or NBTs, mid-year, prelim, and final exams. As many of you would know, Acing these examinations opens up a world of possibilities for future study, and this is precisely where 7th Star comes into the picture. The third and arguably the most transformational facet of 7th Star's approach is their Uni Help offering. This is where they help students take the big leap into various university programs, and what stands out about 7th Star's approach is how each of these services are interconnected, forming a cohesive journey for the student. At 7th Star, the focus is not just on passing exams or acing courses, the real mission is to guide each student on a journey, a journey towards fulfilling their potential and making their dreams a reality. They provide a helping hand to those with aspirations for a career in medicine, ensuring they have the knowledge, the skills and the confidence they need to succeed. 7th Star encourages students to join as early in their academic career as possible, while simultaneously advocating that it is never too late to start and always too early to quit. In fact, they've helped more than 350 students to get into medicine over the last 10 years, a feat attributable to their dedicated tutoring and well-curated preparation methods. Since we're talking about helping people to get into medicine, their BSc program deserves a special mention. For the past eight years, this program has been supporting BSc Biological Science students at the University of Pretoria. The goal is to ensure that after just six months, the students' grades are high enough to transition into medicine at UP with the mid-year intake. Through this carefully crafted route, Seventh Star has successfully assisted over 100 students in securing a place in medicine, which on average equates to one in three students selected at the University of Pretoria. Continuing to put special focus on their courses that apply most specifically to medical and pre-med students, they recently opened up registrations for their highly successful GEMP course. This program has been painstakingly designed to prepare students for the WITS additional placement test, better known as the WAPT, the gateway to studying medicine at WITS University. This test, as many of you may know, is the final hurdle that prospective medicine students need to clear and with Seven Star's GEMP program, students can approach this test with renewed confidence. This comprehensive and intensive 10-week course kicks off this week on the 3rd of July, 2023. The course offers contact lessons at their Centurion campus, as well as online, live stream lessons for students scattered all around the country. The beauty of the online classes is that every session is recorded. This means that students can revisit the lessons, brush up their understanding, clarify doubts and get a thorough grasp of the material anytime they wish. Furthermore, 7th Star understand that many students will only receive their formal WAPS invitation at the end of July. To address this, a highly condensed workshop will be hosted to help students catch up on any content they may have missed. Now let's talk numbers. Over the past years, the vast majority of students who attended this course have passed the WAPT, a testament to 7STAR's commitment to the success of its students. This statistic is a shining endorsement of the quality of education and the level of support provided by 7STAR. Beyond the top-notch instruction and the well-structured courses, one of the key features that sets 7STAR apart is their dedication to comprehensive learning resources. They don't just teach they provide a wealth of resources to aid learning they provide brilliantly prepared notes and summaries on their website allowing students to dive deeper into the subjects and strengthen their understanding an additional layer of support comes in the form of a responsive telegram group this is a space for questions and discussions where doubts can be clarified and concepts can be discussed This collaborative learning environment allows students to learn from each other as well as from their tutors, ensuring they're fully supported throughout their learning journey. But don't just take my word for it on this sponsored segment. Here's a peek into the impact of Seven Stars GEMP course from some of their past students. Yoni Segal, a past attendee and current medical student, heaped praise on the course for its concise material and riveting lectures, dubbing it the best money he's ever spent. Daniela De Toledo, extended her heartfelt thanks to the 7STAR team for her successful admission into medicine and expressed high praise for the presenter and the course notes. And Bruno Moret drew attention to the kindness of the tutors and the quality of the study material, attributing his successful passage through the WAPT to 7STAR tuition. If you need more information or to sign up, visit their website at 7star.co.za. Seats fill up fast and spots are limited, and missing this opportunity is something you may regret. For further details, you can also reach out to Johan Mitton on 076-208-5713. In the competitive and congested world of extra lessons and tutoring, one doesn't often come across a service that transcends the conventional realm of education to shape the future of students and help them realize their dreams. If you or someone you know harbors aspirations for a career in medicine, Seventh Star could very well be the guiding light that guides their way to success. Once again thank you to Seventh Star for their support of this podcast and for the commendable work they're doing in shaping the leaders of tomorrow. Well that's it for this week's episode. I'd like to take a moment to direct you briefly to our Linktree URL, which you can find in the show notes for this episode, as well as in the bio of our Instagram page, at DrCoffeeZA. There you'll find links to our sponsors on this episode, IndemniMed by Money in & Medicine, and 7 Star Tuition, as well as a Google form you can complete if you're interested in working with the Dr. Coffee podcast. Thank you for your support, and we'll see you in episode 42.